0: My name's Ben, I have the wonderful privilege of being the pastor here at Vintage, but uh, let, me, let me ask you a question as we get going. Um, how many of you ever get stressed out by money? How many of you get anxious, fearful? Maybe the idea of looking at your credit card statement or your rent payments or your mortgage or the current value of crypto, which is obviously zero, or the stock market, which is minus 5,000, or you know whatever it is, that like, gives you like, cause for, for a little bit of heart palpitations. Um, well, this may or may not, not help you, but, but you're not alone. Um, two, two big studies in the United States last year um, found, the first one said that 73% of Americans rank money as their biggest stress. And in fact, if you're in Gen Z uh, or if you're a millennial, that actually rises to 81 or 82%, four out of five. Um, and in this other study, 60% of respondents indicated feeling anxious when thinking about their personal finances. You're not alone. You're also not alone because the Bible has so much to say about this topic. Uh, There are 500 verses in the Bible about prayer. There are 500 verses in the Bible about faith. There are over 2,000 verses in the Bible about money, possessions, and giving. 16 of the 38 parables that Jesus told, so nearly half of all the parables Jesus ever told were on this subject. And in fact, if you were to look at all the words in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the three, three of the four Gospels, six of them is all about money, possessions, and giving. Why? Why does God have so much that he seems to want to say in this area? Uh, is it that he is a God who made all of heaven and earth, but is actually a bit cash strapped? Is this, is this some sort of financial strategy to sort his economy out? Probably not maybe it could be because actually God has something that he wants to bring to us to bring healing and wholeness and freedom and health in this area. And I tell you what, if that's true, then I really need to hear it. And maybe we all need to hear it. And so we're going to read this, have our reading this morning. Um, it's from Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 to 30. It's a beautiful story that Jesus tells. Um, and Julia's is going to come and read it. Matthew 25, 14
1: So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, come and share your master's happiness then the man who had received one bag of gold came master he said i knew that you are a hard man harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered sc- bleh, scattered seed so i was afraid and i went out and hid your gold in the ground see here's what belongs to you his master replied you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have even what they have will be taken from them and throw that worthless servant aside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth.
0: Thank you. Sometimes Jesus's parables take a little bit of understanding. Sometimes they take a little bit of explaining. This one, you can consider it like an elementary grade parable. This is why I love it so much. This is like nice and straightforward. So there's this rich businessman, a nobleman, and he has a lot at his disposal. He has business dealings, has things that he is doing. But he needs to go away on a long journey. He's going to be gone for some time. And because there's no internet banking or online share trading or like Bitcoin or anything else, he does what, what it would have been completely culturally normal at the time, which is to divide up his wealth into different parts and to give it to different of his servants to look after, to steward, to care for it. So that one day when he would return, he'd be able to say to them, what did you do with what I entrusted to you? And sure enough, he divides it, five bags, two bags, one bag, different amounts to these different servants. And he comes back after some time. And the first servant says, okay, yeah, great. You gave me five. I put it to work. I invested it. And now look, there's 10. The second servant, you gave me two bags. I put it to work. Now there is four bags of gold. And the master says to both of them, you have been faithful with a few things. Five bags of gold doesn't seem like a few things to me. It sounds like a lot. But you've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come, share in your master's happiness. And then along comes this like, third servant. And he's just had, he had one bag of gold. And the master said, hey, what did you do? What did you invest it in? What's happened to it? And he says, "Like I was scared. I was worried. I didn't know what to do. I didn't want to lose it. I didn't want to be guilty of that. And so I dug a hole in the ground. I buried it. And I dug it up now. And look, here it is. And then this is incredibly strong, actually quite angry response from the master. Now, sometimes in Jesus' parables, it's a bit difficult to work out who's he really talking about. Is there some Jewish history in here? What is this about? This one, not so much. Nice and straightforward, right? There is a master who is busy doing all sorts of incredible things, but needs to go away for a significant period of time before one day returning. It actually says in the other gospel translation of this, he goes away to be coronated and come back. Like, who might we be talking about in this passage? Mm, mm, Jesus, right? The answer is always Jesus of vintage if you're new. It's Jesus. It's always Jesus. And so if it's Jesus is the master, who then are the servants of Jesus? We are the servants of Jesus. What Jesus is clearly saying is this. You, church, you, my followers, I have put time, talent, treasures, things in your life that I have deposited there that I want you to invest for the things that I'm about, for my kingdom, so that one day when I return, or if you translate it slightly differently, one day at the gates of heaven when we stand there, he will say, Ben, Laura, Tom, Julie, what did you do? What did you do with the things that I entrusted you? And his expectation is gonna be that we did something, And we didn't do nothing. Now, maybe your anxiety levels from the beginning have just gone up slightly, not down. I don't know. But hold on, hold on with me. To understand the right relationship to money and everything else, we need to see and understand that we are kingdom investors. So what's a kingdom investor? Well, to be a kingdom investor, the Bible says time and time again, revolves around one particular word. And it is this word, the word generosity, generosity. God is wonderfully, beautifully, incredibly generous. That is his nature. Um, There's a a wonderful story which I didn't make up, and I tell it every time I'm giving a sermon like this. Sorry if you've heard it nine times from me already, but the story of a guy who's ready to catch a flight at LAX. And, and he's, running, he's running a little bit early, not like me. He's running a little bit early. And so he goes and buys a cappuccino and a little bag of donuts. And he finds the only seat in the terminal where he can sit down. It's right across from another businessman. So it's a bit awkward because two guys, they don't want to look each other in the eye. But, you know, he sits down at the seat and he's there. And so he puts his coat, his jacket off, and he puts his, like, wheelie bag down and gets his mobile phone out, cappuccino, bag of donuts, He starts to scroll through idly and takes a little sip of the cappuccino, reaches out to the bag of donuts right there in the middle of the table. He reaches in and he takes takes one donut, goes back, just like scrolling through the Instagram. Out of the corner of his eye, though, he spots the other guy across the table. The other guy, without missing a beat, looks up, smiles, reaches out to the bag of donuts in the middle of the table and takes one of the donuts. Right, the first guy, like being a guy, he's not like about to kind of show any public emotion, but inwardly, he's going like, oh my goodness, this guy is a donut thief. He is literally stealing my donuts right in front of my eyes. But I'm, I'm going to be passive aggressive about this. I'm not going to make a scene. So he takes the bag of donuts, which are right in the middle of the table, and he grabs them and he yanks them right the way to this edge of the table, right in front. So it's extremely clear whose donuts they are. And he takes another donut and he angrily shoves it in his mouth and starts angrily, seeing someone angrily scroll the social media, he's like angrily going at the social media. The other guy across the table, again, doesn't so much as miss a beat, look across the table, reaches right over and takes the last donut from the man's bag. the very last donut. Like the first guy, you can imagine, is completely losing it internally at this moment. Like he's literally about to erupt when the tannoy comes on and it calls the second man's flight. So the second man, he gets up, doesn't, doesn't miss a beat, just smiles, picks up his stuff, walks off down the concourse. Now the first guy is literally about to race down the terminal. He's like, I'm going to get this guy. I'm going to get him. When the tannoy comes on again and his flight is called in the opposite direction. And he can't believe it. Like he doesn't even get a chance for retribution. And so he reaches down, he grabs his coffee, grabs his jacket, reaches down for his wheelie bag. And there on the ground next to his wheelie bag is his bag of donuts. (laughs) All along, he thought that the other guy was stealing from him when actually all along, the other guy was sharing his donuts graciously and kindly. As J. John, who's a famous evangelist, who tells a story said, this is what you need to know. God owns all the donuts. (laughs) God owns all the donuts. God owns all of everything. This is in 1 Chronicles 29, yours Lord, It's the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. For everything in heaven on earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. You know, we exist out of God's very beautiful generosity. The reason God created in the first place wasn't because he needed us, wasn't because he actually had some specific reason that we had to happen, but because of his loving kindness that burst us. If you ask the scientists, like what is the probability that a human being can exist on a planet and have exactly the right amount of nutrients and oxygen in the air and water and all these things, they'll tell you it's almost entirely impossible for that to happen. And yet we exist. If you, if you put your hand on your chest right now, hopefully you'll feel a heartbeat. If you don't, nudge the person next to you quickly and we'll sort you out. That life that you have, that breath that you have is God's generous gift to you. Maybe this morning, I don't know, maybe you had the luxury of having some electricity because it was cold and gray and you turned on a light. Maybe you had running water. Maybe you had breakfast. Maybe even this week you benefited from some education or some health care. You are among some of the most blessed people. I am among some of the most blessed people ever to have lived. I found out last night at a charity thing we're at. 40% of the world live off less than five US dollars a day. Like We are the recipients of incredible generosity. I went to see my eye specialist this week, because you won't know this probably, but uh, if I didn't have contact lenses and things, I'm actually just about legally blind now. I can't, can't see anything. But because I live in LA, because I have an amazing doctor and have access to health insurance, I can actually for like $30 get a pair of incredible contact lenses, which means I can nearly see 2020. At any other place in the world, any other time in history, I'd be blind. We are all, whether we feel it, or some of us absolutely don't feel it, the recipients of generosity. Now we might say, we might say, hold on a minute, Ben. Like, But when I don't go to work, when I sit around and watch Netflix all day, like I don't get paid, I get broke, I would be on the streets. Notice this. This is the following on from the 1 Chronicles bit. Verse 17, you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands has produced this wealth for me, but remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gave you the ability to produce wealth." He gave you what you need to be able to do the things that you need to do. God is generous. So to live out of that story, to be a kingdom investor, means not only receiving God's generosity, but actually mirroring it, bringing it, exploding it out into the world. Out into the world. In the um, Old Testament of the Bible, when the Israelite people were finding their shape as a nation, God gave them laws and rules for all sorts of different things. But but one of the central ideas was the idea of what they called tithing. And effectively what would happen was this, was that when there was a harvest in the land, because they were almost all subsistence farmers, they would take the very first and the best one-tenth, that's what tithe means, and they would take it to the temple or to the place of worship. And some of it would go so that the the temple, the place of worship, could thrive and be healthy and abundant. And we talked about that, about the life of the church a few weeks ago. For the city, for the nation to thrive, the church has to thrive, the place of worship has to thrive. That's where the first bit went. The second bit went to the poor, the lost, the lonely, and the least. Like we also said about the church a few weeks ago, no one gets left behind. We are in it together. They were in it together. They literally provided food for people who could not provide food. But the third part was the most surprising because the third part of the tithe was used as a burnt offering. They literally burnt it, like right there. And if you're an economist or a businessman, you're like, that one doesn't make sense. (laughs) Like, they shouldn't have done that (laughs) because that doesn't have any output except it was a beautifully symbolic gesture which said this, we... The farmers are not in control. You are. We actually cannot and will not provide everything we need for ourselves. We choose to trust in you. And as we do that, because that's what they were asked to do, we know that the Lord will provide for us. That he will, and the word which goes throughout the Bible is this, he will bless us. Now, the word blessing gets entirely misused uh, in modern culture, but there are four specific blessings that we see come through the Bible about what it means when we learn to be generous, the outputs, the things that happen when we're generous. And The first one is this. Generosity changes me. Generosity changes you. 1 Timothy 6.9 Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Strong words. Now, we almost always misunderstand that passage. Everyone ever heard this quoted at you? Money is the root of all evil. That is not what the passage says. Not at all. God does not hate money at all. God is not angry about money. Money is entirely neutral. It exists as a tool for things to be happened. But look what he says in the book there. When you love money, when it rules you, when you give your life toward it, it leads you toward ruin and destruction. It pierces you. You are pierced yourself, not someone else. You are pierced with many griefs. Because when you learn to live for money, it like grabs hold of you. You know, Lord of the Rings, my favorite film, right? You know, in there the ring, and there's that little golem, right? It's like, my precious, my precious. I can't do a very good accent, but you know, so like, like, he's just absolutely obsessed by this ring. It's subtle at first, and then it just grabs hold of him. We know that money can do exactly the same to us. Before we know it, and we don't mean to, no longer are we living for God. We find ourselves living for for money, and it becomes God to us. That's why the theologian Richard Foster says, when we talk about money, we must dethrone it, laugh at it, Give it away. We need to find ways to shout no to the God of money. We must engage in the most profane act of all, giving it away, because the powers that energize money cannot abide that most unnatural of acts, giving. When we give, we're actually saying we are not loving the money. We are not about the money, we are about you. Money will not define us, you do. I am no longer in charge of my life, you are. It is not my financial um, strategy that is gonna save me, you will save me. As maybe the wisest and smartest man in the whole universe, John Lewis says, the abundance that Jesus talks about is found in the joy and in the freedom that comes when we lean into generosity, motivated by love. Just do this for a moment, grab hold, be tense, put your fists, put them right to your chest. How does that feel? It's pretty stressful, right? This is a worldly view of money. And now do this, feel better? This is a kingdom view of money because this is where we find freedom And we fare life in generosity. So generosity changes our hearts. It changes our lives. Second thing is generosity changes the world around us. A couple of weeks back, we we talked about uh, healing. And we basically said this, that prayer plus faith equals healing. It's not quite true to say equals. But it is prayer plus faith, which is the mechanism by which God chooses to pour out healing into the world often. Well, generosity plus faith is actually the mechanism which God chooses to use to bring blessing to the world. I, am, I find it absolutely astonishing that God would ever choose me to be on his team for anything, right? He's got a lot of people to choose from. He has a lot of ability on his own. And yet, when God looks at the world and says, these are some things I want to bring to the world, this is some blessing that I want to pour out in the world, astonishingly, he says, hey, Ben, hey, Adam, like, hey, Seth, like, you're on my team. You're in. Let's go. We're going to do this together. Amazingly, God invites us into the story where we get to see real transformation in the world. We see it when we become those kingdom investors, the parable talked about. Uh, I, I love investing, like guilty, guilty pleasure, right? I, I, was, um, I was 10 years old when for my birthday, my parents bought me two gerbils. This is a gerbil if you're not sure what a gerbil is, okay, they are. Basically, like a small rat. Let's just be honest, right? Now my parents had, had never really taught me anything about the birds and the bees but they gave me these two gerbils in like a big like fish tank thing with you know the water and it was my job was to clean them out every every couple of probably months if I'm <laughs> honest <laughs> but amazingly to my surprise after about 3 or 4 months of having these gerbils suddenly there were no longer two gerbils after they had performed this thing which looked like wrestling <laughs> suddenly Suddenly, there were lots of gerbils. I mean, a lot. It was a bit like one of those popcorn machines. You know, they're just like baby gerbils everywhere. And and my parents thought, this is horrendous. Like, what's happened? We've now got like 20 gerbils. As a 10-year-old boy, I thought, this is amazing. Because I thought, well, my parents must have bought these gerbils from from a pet shop. And if they bought them from a pet shop, maybe they'd like some more. And maybe I could sell these gerbils to the pet shop. And so sure enough, at the age of 10, I phoned up the pet shop and said, hey, I've got like 10 more gerbils. Would you like 10 more? And amazingly, they said, yes. Yes, we will give you, I think it was like three pounds, four US dollars per gerbil. We will give it for you. And over the years that came, I became very rich. Very rich for a 10-year-old boy because I figured out I could sell gerbils. I started with two and I ended up with, I don't know, too many by, by the end. There's something about investing, which basically means this. You start with little, very little sometimes, and you watch as it grows and it grows and it grows until it becomes absolutely transformational to yourself or to the world around. The same is true in the kingdom. When we invest our time and our talents and our treasures, amazingly, however small they would seem, God multiplies and does something astonishing with them. Laura and I got to go back to the UK in the summer and we we met up with some of our old youth group who, when we were in our 20s, I guess they were about like 15, something like that, or around those kind of ages. And we would just like do classic youth group things with them. You know, we feed them pizza. We'd go play games. We'd take them to like worship gatherings. We'd, we'd try our very faltering best to mentor them and always feeling like we weren't doing a very good job. But we got to meet up with some of them this summer for so we hadn't seen them since before the pandemic. And I couldn't believe it. Like one of them was like, oh yeah, like I'm a pastor now and I'm leading a church. Oh, I'm a missionary to another part of the world. Oh, I'm a business leader. Oh, I work in local government. And all of them pretty much were like going for it with Jesus. And all of them said this, you, you helped change our lives. Now, in my mind, I'm like, I don't know how that happened. Because I didn't think I was, we were very good at this at all. But for them, it was transformational. And so with those small youth group, suddenly there are ministries all over the place. We also got to um, catch up with some friends for whom we we started a church. Laura and I led a church plant like 11 years ago. It was a new church plant in England. And they've had a tough time as a church plant, if I'm honest. But I got to catch up with some of them because I realized that out of that little ragtag group of people, there are now 15 churches across the whole world who are led by people who were mentored and grew in that first church plant. God takes the little, the the imperfect, the faltering, and astonishingly, because he's really good and we are not necessarily really good, he multiplies it and pours out incredible kingdom economic blessing in the world. He does. He's doing it right here, if you weren't aware. Like he does it with our time, our talent, our treasure. Just, just I want to show you a video. This is a video about about you guys, about this place. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? I think it's amazing. Okay, you don't think it's amazing. Okay, I think, I, think that's, I think that's amazing. I've been watching that video on repeat for like three weeks. Laura's been saying, stop showing the video. I'm bored with the soundtrack. I'm like, but I love it because look, like something's happening. God is doing something. Pastor Jean came two weeks, uh, last week, and she said, Ben, I've been coming to this building my whole life, and it has been a dormant, dead relic of a place in the city center. And she said, I've got shivers because it's alive, it's alive. Life has returned to this place. Now it's not about the building, but it's because God is at work. He's taking the very little that we bring and he's multiplying and he's bringing the kingdom to bear. Lives are being transformed through it. Now let's just be a bit crass though for a minute. How is that happening? How is it happening? Well, how do we move into this building? Well, obviously at the most spiritual level (laughs) God did an incredible miracle to make it happen. Absolutely true. But how does it keep happening? It's because of the incredible, silent, quiet generosity of you lot. I mean, just in case you were wondering, this building wasn't a gift. <laughs> it actually is on lease. This building costs an incredible amount of money to be in every single year. How is it that we have astonishing moments of worship and encounter with the Lord, with Tom and symptom, and creativity, Well, it's because of your generosity that brought those guys financially out from the UK. Why is we got an exploding kids ministry right now? Because Camilla and Sam and Laura are employed by you guys to work with our children because we're hoping to employ a youth pastor for the same reasons. It's actually our generosity that makes that a reality. We couldn't do it. Now, I'll also tell you, let you into secret, like this year... We actually have a really big target. Um, Here's a little uh, pie chart to show you. You probably can't read it from the back. Sorry, the colors are terrible. But this year, in order for us to do the ministry, this ministry together, and all the things we do, um, it's going to cost about $799,000, $800,000 it will take to do all the things that we've just seen on the video. Now, our board amazingly got together a few months back and signed off a budget which has a $100,000 deficit in it. $100,000 of church's savings is going into it. In fact, to really like look at it, it's about another $200,000 versus what we received last year in order for this to break even this year. Now, that could look incredibly anxiety-driven and scary, but I have a smile because I know that we, the church, have an opportunity to serve and to be generous, and that through it, lives are going to be transformed. Lives will be transformed. We've got to raise about ten to $15,000 a month in additional regular giving at the moment. That's a lot. But actually, across all of us, with God's kindness and his generosity, it isn't that much. And so a little bit later on, we're going to have an opportunity to join in, in maybe for the first time, setting up a giving offering to this, this community. But you'll notice on that thing that over 10% of what we receive, it's the orange bit, you can't see it, it says outreach, goes straight out of the doors because we realize that even as we're blessed, it's not enough for just us to be blessed, we wanna see transformation and blessing in the city, which is why 10, 11% of that goes straight out to mission partners like Door of Hope and STARS and Claris Health and Benevolence Funds and things like that so that the blessing doesn't stop with us. When we're generous... 100 people come on Alpha. When we're generous, we get to set up a new mission partner with Mexico. When we're generous, we see many children and young people and hear the good news of Jesus. We get to involve involved in homelessness. When we're generous, suddenly the kingdom comes to our neighborhoods. So generosity um, changes us, changes the world around us. Third thing is, generosity actually, as if that wasn't enough, and I think it is enough, but if that wasn't enough, Generosity actually changes our situations. Changes our situations. Um, in the, and again, in the Old Testament, the Bible, the prophet Malachi, uh, he, he, uh, he, he brings the word of the Lord to a Jewish community who were really struggling. It was not a blessed time. It was not a financially brilliant time. They were having a rough going. And yet the word of the Lord comes to them, Malachi 3.10. Bring, the Lord says, the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house test me the only place in the whole bible god says test me here test me says the lord and see if i won't throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will be not enough room to store it right now people misunderstand this passage massively it's called the prosperity gospel. It's not in the Bible, right? But here's what does happen. Amazingly, what they are told here is that when we give generously, when we open up our hands, astonishingly, God also opens up his hands. That we live with a God who is more generous than we are. That when we give, God actually says this, you can't outgive me. You can't. You can't outgive me. And just in case you think I'm making it up, I want to show you another quick video, which is from two people who are in our church and they're here this morning. And this is what their response was when last year we did a, a giving challenge. This is what they said.
2: Hi, everyone. I'm Mark. I'm Emily and we did the giving challenge earlier this spring with vintage Pasadena uh, We had already been regular tithers. Uh, we grew up that way and when we got married, we continued that um, So with the challenge that came up, we decided to take a risk and increase our giving by about 10% uh, Which was a little nerve-wracking mm-hmm. because we had some pretty aggressive personal savings goals at the time we were saving for a down payment on a house Uh, a long-delayed wedding reception and a trip we're hoping to take next year. So we were concerned maybe that increasing our giving might cause us to compromise those saving goals. Uh, But, you know, we, we checked in on our budget regularly and the money just kept showing up. Like, we didn't even really drastically change any spending habits, but God provided. We were able to sustain the increased spending and meet our goals. So actually, after the challenge ended, not only did we not ask for our money back, but we we've kept giving at that increased amount.
1: Yeah. And then even this past summer, another miracle was that God provided a way for uh, my medical bills to be paid for. Mm-hmm. Cause I had a cancer diagnosis and that was pretty scary. And when the medical bills came in, the insurance really uh, paid for it all. Uh As well, as we had friends and family uh, give us meals here and there. So that was a real big blessing on both accounts. So seeing God's providence and his, um, gift and blessing during that time was was amazing and, and something you, you can't budget for or have a light item for or anything like that
0: so the reason mark had no hair there was because he was going through chemo um he's right here now look he's got loads of hair um <laughs> i say that with just a small amount of jealousy uh yesterday morning we got to go and hang out in their new home that they've just bought um nearby here you know, now That's not prosperity gospel. That isn't to say that when you put $10 in the offering, God gives you a house. But it is to say that God is more generous than I am. He's more generous than you are. He's more kind than you are. He's more blessed than you are, which means that whenever we give, astonishingly, God says, I got you. I will care for you. I will look after you. You know, when I studied human, uh, when I studied economics uh, at, at university, it was always about like budgets and subtraction. Like keep costs to the minimum, keep like inc- income at the maximum, keep everything under control. It's like a subtraction kind of game. Amazingly, when you talk about the kingdom, they don't, it's not about subtraction. It's about multiplication, right? Because when we give, God multiplies. Jesus says, Luke six, give, and it will be given to you a good measure. Pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. Kingdom investment is a no-brainer because of what God does. And here's the fourth thing that God does, by the way, when you invest. From the parable, that we store up eternal treasure. We store up eternal treasure. Said it in the parable this morning. Jesus says, you have been faithful with a few things to the servant." I will, future tense, in the new kingdom, I will put you in charge of many things. Come, share in your master's happiness. You think a 401k is a good long-term investment? You think cryptocurrency is a good long-term investment? You're deluded. The best long-term investment we are ever invited into is kingdom generosity. Because amazingly, and we often skip over this bit, but it's just there, when we give something of eternity comes to us. And one day, we will reap a benefit in all eternity for what happens when we're generous. Now, I hope you can tell I'm really passionate about this. I was passionate about this well before I was ever a pastor who had to balance balance a budget. I love it. I love it because Laura and I could tell you a hundred stories about how this has worked in our lives. And if you want a coffee, we'll do it. But it's also we're passionate because this has been our family story too. And I want to tell you a very, very quick story before we come to communion. And it's this. My my grandfather... uh, He was a soldier, English soldier, in World War II. Uh, He fought all across uh, northern Europe. And by all intents and purposes, he was a pretty mediocre soldier. But he was a very, very strong and passionate evangelist. He would literally tell people about Jesus on the battlefronts. After the war, he uh, married his childhood sweetheart. He lived in northern England. And they, they set out to live a story of generosity. That was their life goal. And so their home, which was quite modest, always had... Tens of people living in it who were just needing a home. After a while, they they heard that at that time in England, if you were a physically or mentally disabled child, you were not allowed to be educated alongside able-bodied children. And so what happened is that they were always set aside in these really dingy, horrible old schools. And so they turned their home into a place where people could be received and the children of all different backgrounds and and stages and disabilities could learn together. And they they outgrew their house uh, when they're doing that. So they poured all their life savings into building a school. It's called Charmwood. It still exists today. It was the first ever school where able-bodied and disabled children could learn together. They just, their whole life, they never were rich. They were never flashy. But they just kept and kept pouring into other people, even when it was really tough. My grandmother, later in life, developed this thing called Lewy body disease. It's like a very severe form of Alzheimer's that eventually led to her, her death. My grandfather, even in his 80s, just kept going. Like he kept, every Sunday he'd be in his little old church playing the piano for the, the people who were there. He'd be telling his neighbours about Jesus. He'd be giving money away wherever he had money to give. And astonishingly, though, like one day he, he, he bumped his head when he was gardening and still living at home. And he didn't think too much about it, but he kind of bandaged his head up and, and he went to bed. He actually died in his sleep that night. But the next morning when the family came to find him and they found him in, in his bed, and open next to his bed was his Bible verse from the night before. The last thing he'd ever read on earth. You know what it said? It said this, Well done. Good and faithful servant, you have been faithful with a few things. Now come, I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. I long that one day when I get to the gates of heaven, that is what the Lord would say to me. I long that that's what the Lord would say of our church, of all of us. But it comes out of sacrificial, radical generosity, church. It does. So with two minutes, the last two minutes, I promise, before we get to communion, I'm going to tell you, if you want to start a journey of radical generosity, these are some things that you need to know. Number one, give sacrificially. Give more than you can afford to give. Why? Because it is a sacrifice and it's worship. All the way through the Bible, giving is not the leftover. It's not the last. It's the first. The whole point is he's not supposed to be able to afford it. If you could afford it, then it's not actually a sacrificial act of worship. It's just the leftovers. People say to me, how much am I supposed to give? 5%, 10% before tax, after tax? What am I supposed to do? Here's my very 10-second answer. For most of us, most of us, 10% before, without any silliness around tax is, is a really reasonable thing that we can do. It's a reasonable thing. For some of us, we're not there yet. We need to actually, like we've got to exercise some muscles and generosity and we dream that we'll be there. For some of us, actually, we can give. We can live off 90%, like no problem. It hardly even touches the sides. And the question we might need to start to ask ourselves is what do we need to keep, not what do we need to give? So give sacrificially. Two, give regularly. The whole point of the tithe was that it was always about when the harvest came, the tithe went. Like. The whole reason we do, Laura and I, we do our tithing to the church in a particular light like, way through auto pay. We do it on the same day we get paid. The church pays us and we pay the church. I don't know why we do it. Just, that's why we do it. We do it because that stops there ever being a conversation. It stops us spending the money first. It stops us having conversations like, is there any left over this month? Because I, I have that conversation, there's never anything left over. So you give first. You also, thirdly, you give in secret. Um, Human generosity says, um, in order to be generous, it's about splashing the cash. You know, right? A generous person, someone who takes people out for fancy meals, nice bottle of wine, looks all showy. Kingdom generosity, totally the opposite. Kingdom generosity is supposed to be in secret, even from ourselves, Jesus says. When you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. That's a bit weird. But it's there, like, so that even I don't have... The reason I use autopay and I don't get any email confirmations is so that I don't have a conversation with myself. Hey, Ben, you were so generous. Hey, <laughs> you were so great. Or, oh, I don't think I'm going to do that next month because I need to do something else. It just happens. We learn to live when we do it in secret. And fourthly, finally, do it cheerfully. 2 Corinthians 9, remember this, you anxious church. <laughs> we get scared about money. This is what We know. Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver.